next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies It's really great to have you joining us this morning on Awaken Online. Uh, if it's your first time joining us this morning, it's, it's so great to have you here. Uh, we hope that you've been enjoying it so far. And uh, if you want to know a little bit about who we are, we're just a, a group of people who are passionate about following Jesus and, and living a life that represents Him well and, and shows the world that the, the Jesus way of life is the best way to live in our world. And uh, so this morning we're, we're uh, covering a series, we're, we're on week three of our series, Reunion, the good news of Jesus for skeptics, believers, and the spiritually curious. And so if you're here this morning, you're watching right now, or maybe you're listening later on, uh, and you maybe you fall into one of those three categories. I hope that all of us would fall into one of those three categories. Either we're a skeptic, and we're, we're tuning in this, this morning just to say, well, what is this Jesus person all about? And, and what do Christians really believe? And maybe you're here because you're a believer. And you're wanting to know what, how, how we can really uh, represent Jesus well in our world. And maybe you're here and you're just a bit spiritually curious. And you've got lots of questions and doubts and um, you know, all of those sorts of things. I, I just want to say I'm so glad that you are all here. Uh, we, we really welcome questions here at Awaken. We believe that, that questions is a part of how we journey, how we uh, grow in faith. And that... Uh, yeah, so I just want to encourage you there is, uh, you can ask questions, uh, there'll be a link uh, right there below or in the comments if you're watching on Facebook, uh, and you can uh, type that into your uh, web browser and anonymously ask a question, and uh, at the end I will uh, answer those, well, attempt to answer those questions. Uh, if there's uh, uh, any questions that I can't answer, then uh, we, we actually have Bruxy KV, who is the author of the book Reunion, joining us at the end of our series for a Q&A session. So we need some good curly questions to ask him, so, uh, so don't be afraid to, to type in any questions there and uh, we'll, we'll get on to them. Alright, so uh, this, this morning we are, we're up to week three and, and so we're looking at the gospel and the 30 words, which is Jesus is God with us. Come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so that we can share in God's life. And so the, this, the gospel in 30 words is the ground of the gospel, which is Jesus is God with us, which we talked about last week. The gifts of the gospel, which are the four points in there, save us, uh, sorry, show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom and shut down religion. And then the goal of the gospel is that we would share in the life of God. That ultimately, that is what this is all about, that, uh, that we are living a life that is uh, the abundant life that God wants for us. Now, when we talk about this uh, abundant life, we, we are talking about the fact that uh, in, uh, every human uh, has needs. Uh, we, we have, uh, there's a, a guy called Manslow, he uh, years ago did a th uh, created a thing called the human hierarchy of needs. And this is the idea that every human has innate needs built into us, that we need physiological needs like food and water and air to survive, um, and, and right through to this idea of, of transcendence, that we live a life that's bigger than just for ourselves. 
And so, um, so the good news of Jesus uh, actually meets the innate needs of humanity. And this shouldn't surprise us at all. It shouldn't surprise us that, that someone came up with this idea, studied human uh, humanity and, and what, how humans live and interact with one another and discovered that there are these innate needs that we all have, the need for belonging, uh, the need for freedom, the need for purpose and meaning in our life. Um, and so it shouldn't surprise us that, that Jesus actually met these needs or the gospel actually meets these needs. It shouldn't surprise us because God made us. And because he made us, he knows the needs uh, of the human heart. And so, so the, the life and message of Jesus actually drills right down into the innate needs of the human heart. And our four values uh, here at Awaken actually echo the four gifts of the gospel. Uh, and, and that's that we, we all need to know that we belong, that we are free, that we have a purpose, and that we are significant. You see, the whole story of the Bible is set up on this idea that humans think that they can access these things outside of Jesus. And this is why we have such a, a toxic uh, social media environment where, where, you know, with people who are portraying a false self that, that has achieved happiness and success uh, on, on their, in their own terms. But, but inside, you know, we discover that you know, it comes out in the news and often you know, we discover that these people are actually dying on the inside. And see, the gospel is, it meets the innate needs of the human heart. The, the gospel is a transformation from the inside out. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, actually fits seamlessly with the deep needs of humanity. It like fits like a glove. Now listen, this should be one of our greatest apologetics. If you're a believer out there right now, this should be one of our greatest apologetics, one of our greatest evidences for, uh, for the Christian faith, for the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. That, that the, the gospel actually answers the deep needs. It fits like a glove. It answers the deepest longings of the human heart. Now, as followers of Jesus, our lives should demonstrate this but this is actually where faith collides with our belief system. Um, if we truly believe that Jesus, the Jesus way of life, is the best and most life-giving way to live, then and you know, if we believe that it's the most that the best way to live and act in our world, the question we need to ask is how would we live differently? And where is the interaction or the the the, the intersection of faith where we actually say, no, I'm going to live this way in this circumstance. I'm going to treat people this way in this circumstance because because I actually trust in the Jesus way of life, and I believe that this is the most life-giving way to interact with our creation, to interact uh, uh, with. With, with others in a way that offers forgiveness and mercy and, and, and pulls people up into their identity and purpose rather than putting people down uh, so that we feel better about ourselves. Rather than taking from others, uh, we live a life that, that wants to give to others. And that is the most, uh, that is the best way to live in our world. That is the Jesus way of life. See, the gospel should change the way uh, that we think in every area of our lives, our marriages, our parenting, our relationships. It should change the way that we think about money, about sex, about education, about our environment. Every area of our life uh, is not untouched by the gospel. 
So the point I'm trying to make is that in, in uh, Maslow's human hierarchy of needs, although that it is probably flawed and incomplete, it's important for us to consider because as we approach the idea of Jesus and the gospel, it would be ignorance for us to, if we ignored the fact that humans have innate needs, physiological needs and needs of security and safety and belonging and meaning and purpose and, and this need for significance and transcendence. And so we, as we consider this fact, the question we must all ask, all of us need to ask this question. Will we try to get these needs met on our own terms? Because I guarantee you, whether you realize it or not, you are trying to get these needs met. And I would like to suggest that how we are trying to get these needs met is actually dictating most of our behavior. So the question that we must ask is this, will I try to get my needs met through either taking from others, manipulating others, or through my own self-effort and achievement, or will I find these needs met in the, in the faith life of following Jesus? Will I trust that his way of life, that the Jesus way of life, is truly the best and most life-giving way to live in this world? See, I only exist because pure love called me into existence. But my needs for worth and value and meaning and belonging and purpose and significance, they, they are all met when I have this revelation of who Jesus is for me and through me. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 4. He says, Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering his realm of resting in confident faith. So let's just think about uh, the gospel in 30 words. So we've got the gifts of the gospel. Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. Here we go. This is the gifts of the gospel being presented to us. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. See, the gifts of the gospel, they offer us rest. The gifts of the gospel offer us rest. Not physical rest, but the rest of the soul and the rest of the heart. Knowing that we have found true love, belonging, freedom, purpose and significance in and through Jesus. And this Rest that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, this faith life rest, it's, it's access through faith. It's access through, through putting our trust in Jesus, in the Jesus way of life, instead of trying to, to, to grasp life on our own terms or try to take from others to try and get life for ourselves. We, we trust that the Jesus way of life is the true way of life. It's the way of abundant life. This morning we're going to look at a passage in 1 John 4. And I just want to read one verse. It says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Come on, here's this element of faith, this element of trust again. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to, to gather around the good news of who you are. And we just pray this morning that there would be revelation, uh, that, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would lead us into truth, illuminate our hearts, speak life into us. Father, we don't want to just hear information this morning. We want to be transformed by your good news as we respond to it, as we consider these things and make steps of faith towards you and trusting you more. We just thank you, God, that you are at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at God's gutsy love. We are looking at the, the first gift of the gospel, that Jesus came to show us God's love. So what are we saying when we say God is love, and, and what are the implications of this? See, the truth is we can sometimes have a, have a God is love plus perspective, and, and sometimes we can have a bit of a, a bipolar or schizophrenic sort of view of God's love, and one day he is love, and the next day he's angry or mad or sad. And so we want to look through this this morning, and, and I, 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 my prayer is that... Uh, that you would discover that God is love, that that is his essence and his nature, and everything flows through that. So we're going to look at five points this morning, and then uh, we're going to finish uh, this, this morning with a, a short video from Bruxy himself. Was, uh, he just, the way he explains it is just so brilliant. So let's look at the first point here, and the first point is God's essence is love. God's essence is love. So last week we talked about Jesus being the exact representation of God, which is, is the character, the essence, the nature of God, that, that when God wanted to, to stamp his essence, to stamp his nature uh, into humanity, he did it in the life uh, of Jesus. That, that Jesus is the full representation, the exact representation of who God is. That, that Jesus did not come uh, to change God's mind about us, but he came so that we would change our mind about God. So, so, so love is what God always has been and always will be. It's his essence. Point number two is, is nothing in God or from God is incompatible with his love. So everything God thinks, feels and does is an expression, an expression of his essence, which is love. You know, there are many attributes of God, but these all flow through his essence of love. See, in this passage in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John, he, he says that God is three things. He, 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 he uh, has a go at explaining God's essence. Uh, and and he's, he puts it like this. He says that God is light, that God is spirit, and that God is love. So, so he is the spiritual light of love. His essence, his nature, his character... Uh, is love. He, he, he has different attributes like, like holiness and, and, and wrathful and sovereign and righteous and merciful. These are other attributes that we discover through scripture, but, but these flow through his essence and his nature. Now, I've got an image that will pop up on the screen right now that I, I think is really helpful for uh, considering these ideas. That, that God is holy love. And, and all of his attributes are expressed through love. 
God is not the sum of all these things. We don't add all these things up to, to find God. He, he is love and everything else is an expression of his essence. These are, the, uh, one way of putting it is, is the, his attributes are how he relates to his creation. So he doesn't turn off his love to do these things. Now this is really good news because if you consider discipline, uh, the scripture says that God disciplines those he loves. But we know that when it comes to a place of discipline, as any good parent would discipline their children, that he doesn't turn off his love to discipline. He's always, he always brings discipline in our life to pull us up into our original identity and purpose. Not to push us down and to call us out, but to call us up. And we know that because his essence is love. He is always doing uh, these, these things uh, for our benefit. To pull us up into our identity and purpose. And we know this because last week we discovered that, that Jesus is God with us. Not just present, but God for us. And if we truly believe and, and trust in that as the foundation of the gospel, then we know that everything that God does is always for our benefit. It is always to bring us into a greater place of, of destiny and purpose. It's always to bring us into a greater place of, of, of fulfillment in our life. And so, so we know that because we trust that God is not just present with us, but he is God for us. And so his essence, or who he is, um, it, so his essence is love, and that is who he is. I like to think of it like this, that, that if God had never created mankind, who would he be? As the Trinity, as he is relating to himself as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, does he need these other attributes? Or the, uh, I would like to suggest, as, as many do, that, that these attributes are how he relates to his creation. And that his essence is love. When we think about it, uh, like with the idea of holiness, that God's love is holy and his holiness is love. It's always expressed through love. John Frame put it like this. He said, God does... However, enter into relationships with creatures as we have seen, with his creation, us. These relationships are not essential to his being, for he would be God even if he had not chosen to create the world. I am assuming, therefore, that it is possible to distinguish between God's necessary or defining attributes, essential to his being, his essence, his nature, his character, and other predications that describe God and his relationships with creatures. So in other words, his essence is who he is, and then how he relates to us, his creation, is, is what we would describe as his attributes. Point number three is God's love cannot be diminished. His love is not balanced by his attributes. We don't hold them in balance. I often hear uh, Christians trying to add to uh, God's love or trying to diminish God's love. And they say things like, yeah, I, yeah, God is love, but he is also sovereign or he, he is also holy. And as if we should try and balance these attributes with his essence. But, but, but God's love is not reduced. It's not diminished. He, he doesn't turn it off. God's love is always on. John Wesley put it like this, the great evangelist. He said, no scripture can mean that God is not love or that his mercy is not over all his works. 
Point number four, Jesus is love incarnate. He is love in history. Jesus is pure love walking and talking. There is no higher reality to read, teach, talk, sing or meditate on than God seen through Jesus. I heard one person suggest it like this, that love is the highest theology. Point number five, if we trust Christ, then love, not fear, should be our greatest motivation. I want to ask you this morning, how much of our lives are motivated by fear and not love? How we interact with others, what we post on social media, our purchases, how we act and interact relationally with one another. See, love motivates us to celebrate who we are and celebrate who others are. But fear actually motivates us to dislike and judge who we are and judge others. And the truth is we only love others to the degree that we love ourselves or know that we are loved. So I believe that we only have two options in life and depending on different circumstances and situations we are always going to look through the lens of love or through the lens of fear. Now the two main places where, we fear, where fear has influence over our lives is when we are afraid of God and when we are afraid of others or when we have a fear of others. And so the question that we need to revisit is do we really believe that God is not only with us but for us? See, this is the ground of the gospel. It's the ground on which we build our faith and our worldview. If God is for me, come on, l listen to this. If God is truly for me, then I can face tomorrow's pain. I, I can face tomorrow's trials. I can face tomorrow's uncertainty. Come on, in, in the world right now where we have an uncertain future for many of us, that, come on, because I know that God is not only present with me, but that he is for me, I can face tomorrow's pain, I can face tomorrow's trials, and I can face tomorrow's uncertainty. But when we have a fear of others, I would like to suggest that we actually use others to get our needs met. So this is coming back full circle to my original thought about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that, that if we are not getting our needs met, in Jesus, we actually use others to get our needs met. And ultimately, we do this because we are fearful. We're, we're, we're fearful of rejection, not being enough, fear of not measuring up or fitting in. And, and we actually, without even realizing it, we are, actually, we are actually taking from others. Because we're not getting our life needs met with Jesus, it's like we need to take life from others. And obviously that is, that is completely rooted in, in a fear of others. So let's look at what the Apostle uh, John said about this. In 1 John 4 verse 7 and 8 it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Come on, when we know God, we know love. We know what true love is, his essence and his nature. When we know God, we know love. Know God, no love. Know God, no love. John c continues 
uh, in verse 10, he says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I just want to stop there and, and look, there's a... There's a break in the grammatical flow there. Did anyone pick up on that? There's a break in the gram grammatical flow. Now, if you were reading this for the first time and you're just expecting the, it to flow nicely, you would think that it would say, Dear friends, since God so loved us, then we should love God. I mean, that makes the most sense. But no, John breaks the grammatical flow and he says, Since God loved us, we should love others. That, that, that the full expression of us knowing that God loves us is that we in turn go and love others. That, this is what love looks like. This is what, what uh, uh, the understanding of God's love in our life looks like, the love towards others. Now there are other passages, and I've, I've preached on this before, but um, uh, uh, Jesus was asked, what are the, what's the greatest, command, greatest commandment? And, and he actually gave two of them, and he actually said these are the same. Love God, love others. He said the first one is just like the others. And what he was actually expressing, he was actually saying, to love God is to love others. We, we love God by the way that we love others. See, God is saying to, to us as his children, he's saying, the greatest way that you can express your love to me is by loving my creation. By loving those that I love. By loving those that I have poured my image into. By loving those that I have value for and love. I want you to love them like I love them. And I want you to love them like I love you. He's saying this is how you will demonstrate that you love me. And, and so for, for us as followers of Jesus to say that we love God but then to be in relational conflict with others and, and to hold bitterness and anger towards others is actually an oxymoron. We can't say I'm good with God and then not good with his creation. Because the only way that we truly express love to God is by loving his creation. John goes on to say that no one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John is saying that you know, to, to those that may be skeptics, may, maybe ones that haven't had a revelation of God, he is saying, but if we, if we choose to love them, they will see God in us. Come on, they will see God through our lives and love will be made complete in us. He goes on to say, and, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us, on the trust in his love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. That in this world we are like Jesus. He goes on to say that there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. This fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. When there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And how do people experience perfect love? Through God's images, his ambassadors, his church. 
Come on, this is, this is the role that has been entrusted to, 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 to us, the church. To propagate love into the world. To take the goodness and the mercy and the love of God and, and, and spread it, to multiply it, to receive love and multiply it in and through us into the world. Come on, and wherever we go, our, our agenda is to cast out fear. Because love has been multiplied in us and, and moving through us. And, and wherever we go, peace comes into a room and fear is cast out. And, and Because love has walked into the room. Because the carriers of the love of God is us. See, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. John continues on. He says, we love because he first loved us. Come on, his, his love is front-loaded. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Come on, whoever claims to say, oh, I'm good with God, but I've got hate and anger towards my, to my, towards my friends or towards my enemies. Come on, John's saying, you're a liar. Because to love God is to love your enemies. Come on, what a challenging thought. But whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. To love God is to love others. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I just want to hit on an idea here as we bring it to a close this morning. That, uh, you know, how, how we view God, uh, how we understand Him. You know, it says that, 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 that perfect love casts out fear. That when we, when, we, when we know that God loves us fully, that He is for us and not against us, that, it, that drives out fear. But there's a fear or a fear-based control that is predicated on, on the idea that I don't know who I'm going to get today. And I just wonder if there's anyone out there this morning that, that has someone like that in their life. You know, you, uh, you just don't know whether they're going to be happy, sad, mad, grumpy or angry. You know, when they first walk in the door in the morning or you walk into work or they walk into work and you're just going, oh, are they going to be happy today? Are they going to be angry? Uh, you know, just kind of like we walk around eggshells on these around these type of people, and and whether they know it or not, they are, they actually are using this fear-based control to control the environment around them, and so they do it because that actually is how they feel safe. It's it's actually how they feel secure. It's actually their fear that is the foundation for this type of behaviour, and, and so the truth is is that this this kind of fear-based control can actually be common with, with dads. Uh, as a dad myself, I, I'm very aware of this, that, that I, man, I, I never want to be uh, in an environment where I am controlling that environment uh, by, the, by a level of uncertainty. That my children don't know whether I'm going to wake up mad, angry, sad, happy. And because often we can maybe have someone in our world that has treated us like this and has controlled us through fear-based control, we can actually project that view onto God and think that God is like this. But God is not like this. We do not need to walk around on eggshells with God. 
He is not trying to control you through uncertainty and fear. His love is not turned on and his love is not turned off. His love is always on. His love is always on. He is not trying to control you. He is not trying to manipulate you. On this passage, if, that, if you have that, that perspective of God this morning, I encourage you to go back through this passage over and over and let the truth of it sink deep into your heart. God is for you and he's not against you. His love is not turned on or off. He is not balancing uh, his attributes with his love. His love is his, is his essence. And we know that whatever God does uh, in our lives, we know that it is for our good. That he is for us and not against us. That he always has the best in mind for us. And he's calling us up into our original identity and purpose. And this is really, really good news. We're going to take a minute now just to watch a short video from Bruxy, who has just a great way of, of expressing some of, these, some of these really important thoughts. So let's enjoy this video. Hi, I'm Brexy Cavey. It's a privilege to be back sharing with you some thoughts from my new book, Reunion, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints, and Sinners. You know, Jesus said that he himself is really God's message to us, which is fascinating. Uh, John's Gospel begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hmm, with God, was God. Somehow distinct from God, and yet in such close relationship with God that he is God. God is somehow plurality and unity. That is, God's internal nature is relational. God is always relating with himself, which makes sense because the Bible in 1 John 4 says that God is love. And for God to be love, that means God is always internally relating. And so the Word, who was with God and who was God, we're told in verse 14, became flesh. The Word became, became changed into and actually took on our flesh. There were lots of words that John the writer could have used, but he used the word flesh or sarks, that is our most earthy side, sometimes, sometimes translated our sinful nature. He could have said soma, that is body. The word took on a body. He could have said became, uh, became anthropos, that the word became human. But he says the word became flesh. He really entered into the most earthy and fragile part of who we are. And in 1 John 1, verse 18, it goes on to say that although no one has ever really seen God, even though in the Old Testament there are lots of sightings of God, you've never really, really seen God until you see Jesus. No one has ever really seen God, but the God who is in God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The God who is in the bosom of the Father, that is, in the chest cavity of God. What's, what's in our chest but our, our heart? John 1, 18 is saying that that when it comes to Jesus, God the Father opened up his chest to show us his heart. And a person walked out. And it was Jesus. And it says that he has explained him to us. The word here for explained in the Greek is exegeo, from which we get the word exegete, which means to explain something. Right now, for instance, I am exegeting John 1.18. And when we exegete John 1.18, we find out that Jesus exegetes God. Jesus is God's fundamental exegetical sermon of himself. This is really good news because when we wonder, what is God really like? Does he love me? Does he hate me? Is he a jerk? Is he a kind, caring person? We can look at the life of Jesus and say, yes, he challenged and he rebuked the religious systems of hypocrisy, but he was infinitely gracious, caring, loving, and embracing towards the most fragile and frail sinners among us. 
He welcomes us to his side. This is the heartbeat, literally, of God. The medium is the message. Jesus is the gospel. And this is really good news. Great. Well, I hope you enjoyed that video as, as much as as much as I did. I, I and, and I hope you're sort of grasping a, a little bit of, of who Bruxy is, because we're going to have a great time with him uh, at the end of this series. So make sure you get some questions in for him. Um, so with all this said, how do we actually know what love looks like? You know, it's great to talk about love, but we know that love is so distorted in our world. So how do we know what love actually really looks like? So to say God is love only communicates accurately if we know what love really is. You know, is love an emotion, is it a, a sentimental sensation, a philosophical value? Um, so the Greek word used for love in 1 John 4 is this word agape, and it's the, which means an unconditional honoring and active engagement with a person. So an unconditional honoring, active engagement with a person. So agape is the will to work for the good of someone. In one chapter um, before, John says that God is love. And he makes sure his readers have the right idea of what love is. So John defines agape like this. In 1 John 3 verse 16, he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Isn't it interesting, again, that John breaks that grammatical flow? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for others. So you should go and lay your life down for him. Now this is, he breaks that flow and he says, when you have the revelation of Christ's love for you, that, that in turn we would go and lay our lives down for those around us. I think the really cool thing here is that there is actually a hyperlink. The Bible is actually full of hyperlinks if you uh, take some time to, to have a look. But uh, John, the writer of John, and John, the writer of 1 John, the, the Gospel John and the Epistle John, uh, in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, of both of those, there's like a hyperlink. In John 3, 16, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if the Bible was a computer and had a, a, you know, a, a link there, you'd click on that link and would hyperlink to 1 John 3, 16, and this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. One last verse that I'll share with you this morning is, is Romans 5 verse 8. And this is Paul saying, uh, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Come on, this is the idea that, that God front-loaded his love. If we put these two ideas together, we see that love is others-centered. It's self-sacrificing and it's front-loaded love. God front-loads his love. It's not conditional on your behavior. He doesn't turn his love on and he doesn't turn his love off. His love is always on. He doesn't balance it with his attributes. It's not diminished when he's operating in an attribute, when he's relating to us. His love is not diminished when he's disciplining us. His love is always on and it's fully and wholly for you. And his love is front-loaded and it is wooing us home.
Friends, this is the first gift of the gospel. Jesus is God with us, come to show us God's love, save us from sin, set up God's kingdom, shut down religion, so we can share in God's life. And this is really good news. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you that your love has been demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for what, for what you have done on our behalf. You did for us what we could not do. And we thank you that, that you demonstrated the love of God to us. You showed us that, who God really is. And, and we just thank you, God, that, that we have this, this opportunity to step into life with you. We thank you for the gifts of the gospel, the ground of the gospel, and the goal of the gospel. And we just thank you this morning that, that there are people watching uh, uh, all over uh, the world even right now who are watching. And just I, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are able to transcend time and space and speak truth right now into their hearts as, as they lift their eyes to you with thankfulness and gratefulness in their hearts. I, I just thank you, God, that you are at work. That you are transforming us. You're, you're not calling us out, but you're pulling us up into our identity and purpose. And I just thank you, God, that you're at work. We just bless every person listening or watching right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Have a blessed week, church, and we'll see you again soon. We're looking forward to being back in a couple of weeks right here uh, back at Awaken. So uh, have a great week. See you again soon.